You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, be seated, if you would. So good to be with you guys today. And moms, we do give you a shout out. Thank you for putting up with our stinky feet and our dirty underwear and whatever else that, uh, that we have all done to our moms, and t- some intentionally, some unintentionally. Whether you've had one kid or 20, uh, we are grateful for you. You are all superheroes. I, I don't know if you happen to know, the. do you happen to know what's the record of the most kids that a mom has? Uh, I saw a news article this week that said that, and I asked some of those in my family, and the guess was around 20. But uh, it's a little bit low. There was a mom in Russia in the 1700s that had 27 pregnancies. Every one of them was a multiple. 16 sets of twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets. And if you do the math, she had 67 children. And I just didn't even know that math was even possible. Just fertile myrtle, I guess. But she lived to tell the story. I just unbelievable. So moms, whether uh, you think your three or four is a lot, I don't know. I thought my eight was a fair number, but we got we got a ways to go, honey. So uh, anyhow. That's the record. So anyway, we are truly grateful for you moms. Well, this morning I want to talk to you not so much about moms, but in honor of Mother's Day, I want to talk to you ladies about, about, about being women that please God. What, is that, what does that look like? If, uh, not too long ago I was in an event, and I was reminded how out of touch I am with fashion. And I saw a woman that I, I know, a young woman, and she was dressed very nicely as always uh, is, and she was wearing kind of a thick, heavy kind of sweater, like just, you know, just a thick nap, just a thick material. And, uh, and it was tucked in in the front, but it was out on the sides and the back. And my first thought was, oh, that's an accident. Like, she must have gone to the bathroom and didn't realize, like, she accidentally, like, tucked the front in because it was so thick. I'm like, you would not normally do that. And I don't know how it happened. I just kind of, you know, went on and didn't think much about it. But I kind of felt sorry for him. Like, oh, you know, somebody needs to tell her, like, you know. And, uh, and I don't know, a few days later, I don't know how it came up, if my kids were talking about fashion or whatever, but I described to them what I saw. And they're like, oh, yeah, Dad, that's the new fashion. That's like the thing. Like for, you know, a woman to wear kind of the you know, baggier shirts and take a swimming be like that today. And I just thought... Okay, it's a reminder that I, once again, I am behind the times, absolutely clueless, you know, so out of touch with everything that's, you know, that's going on in life, and I'm just completely out of touch. So I always will be behind when it comes to style or what's going on until I'm so far behind that I'm ahead, if you know what I mean. It kind of catches up. Like I was wearing flannels in the 80s when it wasn't cool, and then a few years ago it became cool, and the the college students were like, wow, you wear flannel, Pastor. Oh, right on. You know, I'm like... I didn't know it was a thing. Like, I've been doing it all along. You know, it truly does come back around if you wait long enough. So I say that to say this. I want to talk about this morning what it means for you to be, ladies, to be a woman of God, to live a life that pleases God, not blown around by whatever the latest thing that's fashionable that the world's telling you to live like, that's pressing in on you that you should be like and should be doing and all of those pressures. 
I want us to look and open up God's Word this morning. What does God have to say about that? Some of you ladies have you know, looked at this, and you've been living that, and you kind of look at what the culture's doing, and you blow it off and don't worry about it. Some of you ladies have, have because of just whether your experience or growing up and what's pushing in on you, you are missing it. And so we just want to let God speak into that. We want to let God um, lay that out. And so I'll give one disclaimer before I read the passage, because especially in our culture, I'm just aware of where we are. You know, most people would be like, well, you're a guy. You can't be talking about what ladies are supposed to be. How would you know? You've never been one. And, and uh, I am a man, and I know this is a very binary view of the world, but that's kind of the way God made the world. That's another conversation that, honestly, we do need to have on a Sunday morning at some point in time, just how to navigate that. I will say, though, I've lived with women my entire life. I've lived with six ladies for six women. I was married to one. You know, the, the other five were my daughters. I mean, it was all good. So I do have a lot of experience with ladies or with women. But I'm not talking this morning out of my experience. I'm, we're talking this morning about what God has to say. And God is neither male nor female. And God tells both men and women how he made us and what he expects and what he wants in our life and how to please us. And so this morning, for some of you, I don't know, maybe, you know, speaking, this may be a challenge to, to hear. I don't know. So my deal with you is if I say anything that's, you know, my own opinion, it's just whatever I'm thinking that's not connected or supported by God's word, then please blow that off and throw it out the window and disregard it. But if it is what God's Word says, recognize that God's telling us this and that God is the one telling us what that should be like. And ladies, the guys are going to have their turn in a month. I'm going to swing back around. I'll take my shots at them, all right? So, but um, with Father's Day coming up. But I want to talk to you because in, in all seriousness, my heart breaks. There's such pressure being put in on our young women, our teens and our teen girls of just who they're supposed to be, and just sexuality, just everything is pushed in on there, and it's so, so difficult. We, we, I've had private conversations with some of you, but there was such confusion and things that even our young women are facing that we would have never dreamed, right? Some of you 20 and 30 and 40 years ago, like, what in the world? Conversations that we're entering into and having to have, and I just want us to cut through the fog this morning and what does God have to say that's healthy and that's good? All right? So with that, turn with me if you would. 1 Peter chapter 3. Not talking about my experience because I don't personally know how to be a woman that pleases God, but God does. <laughs> and he tells us. So read with me in 1 Peter 3.1. He says this. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Hold on, ladies. I know you're not all married. And yes, he's talking to wives, but he's telling us in this passage things that relate to women in general. A little bit of it relates specifically to wives. We'll talk about that. But most of this, as you'll see in a minute, relates to women in general. You know, he talks about respectful and pure conduct. You aren't supposed to all of a sudden be respectful and pure ladies the day you get married. Like, live however you want, you know, and be different. He's, he's writing about things that should just be common in general. So, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Hang on to that. I'm going to talk about what that is toward the end. It's probably not exactly what you think. So that even if some of them do not obey the word, talking about their husbands, if they don't obey the word, in other words, they're not followers of Jesus, they don't like your faith, they don't believe in God or whatever, if they don't do that, be subject to them so that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives 
when, in verse 2, they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Don't worry if you got a gold bracelet on or necklace, you're okay this morning, all right? So just relax. Don't let that be your world, he's saying. But in verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. We'll talk about that as well. Relax. So you can, it's as okay. It's not as bad as you think, ladies. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7. I don't have time this morning to preach about it, but husbands, when you're married to a woman, this is the way you should treat them. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Don't be clueless. Don't be dumb as a brick, as a block. Live with them with understanding. Recognize who they are. Showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel. Women are only weaker in general physically. You know, take the bell curve average or whatever. It's not, you're not weaker or lesser in any other way uh, whatsoever, but honor them. Honor them. Since they are heirs, equal heirs, with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, if you don't treat your wives properly, God doesn't hear your prayers, bottom line. So I want us this morning just three things that I want to talk about of what it means for, for ladies that pleases God, being women after God's heart that, that, that please God. Before I share those three things, I want us to recognize that Peter and Paul talks about this same topic in 1 Timothy 2. I looked at both passages, but I felt Peter kind of impacted it a little bit better. But two different you know, passages, two different writers. God is the author is telling us how to unpack this. I want us to recognize that God tells us to do stuff. He unpacks things in the Bible when we don't naturally know what to do. When we're not automatically doing it, you know, do you moms tell your kids to clean up their room when it's already clean? Hopefully not. You know, hopefully you don't. Uh, your, your kid would be like, what? So God tells us to do things when we don't do them, when we struggle to do them, when it doesn't make sense to do them. So the, the kind of the uh, stating the obvious thing that I think we need to state is that the world around, just as the people, when this was written 2,000 years ago, were, had a different expectation that it was common in the culture of the day of behavior, of actions, of dress, of everything, of women, that was different than what God expected. And so we should always expect in every generation and every culture that God has something for us that's different than what the world around us has. And that by nature means that you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus, live in this world where we want to honor God, and we got to figure out how that looks and how that works in the culture around us. And those two will always clash. Make no mistake. There will always be a tension in your heart of like, well, is this honoring God? But I, you know, or is this just a matter of do I tuck my shirt in or do I not? You know, do I whatever? Like some things don't matter, and some things really do matter. And we have two options. We can either listen to God or we can ignore what God says and do our own thing. And I pretty much never see in the Bible where that works out well. 
as a person, 53 years old, that has never worked out for me when I ignore God. 100% of the time has never worked out. It always ends up in a mess and a disaster. As a pastor who talks and is helped and prayed with and helps so many people, I've never ever yet seen it work out well when we ignore God. So my counsel advice to you this morning, if you miss anything else, is do what God tells you to do because it is always better for you. And it ultimately always ends up being a blessing to you in life and disregard what he says with great peril, all right? So with that, here's what he says. I'm going to skip the subject being, you know, wives submitting to your husband thing, not because I'm ducking it or think it's not important, but he starts out the passage with it and he ends with it. I'm going to end with it. I'll come back to it. So the first thing I want you to recognize in the passage, though, he says is this. Your husbands can be one to Christ, in verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, what God wants in your life is respectful and a pure conduct. That word respectful is literally, it means fear. And believe it or not, it's actually not talking about husbands. If you have a Bible that you write in or an electronic Bible you need to take notes in, to understand this, this is not saying, ladies, that you need to have this reverential fear of your husbands. Believe it or not, what it's talking about is you need to be respectful of God. It's saying that you need to live in such a way that you have a, an awe for God in your life, that God should be the guiding factor of what you do and don't do in life, the behaviors that you do, the speech that you do, the way you dress and what you wear and how you carry your life, that everything in your life should be out of a deep devotion and respect for the God in this world who made you and created you, who sent His Son Jesus to die for you on the cross, that that should be what defines you as a woman. You see, in the world around us, there's so much that we're men and women as well, and, and we men, we have our own things going on in the culture, and I'll get to that in another, another time and another day. But the world's trying to help you to define who you should be and who you are as a woman. Can I tell you that God empowered you and defined you at a level that this world can never, ever come close to giving you? That He made you in His image, the image of the God that created this universe out of nothing, that He made you incredible with who you are. And it matters not whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a mom who has children, a mom, a woman that can't have children. It matters not how much money you make or what job you have or where you live or anything you accomplish in this world. Our, our world is so busy trying to create status and empowerment and empowering you ladies. To be honest with you, you can't empower something that's already powerful. If I go out and buy a brand new Mustang GT, you know, whatever, leaders and all of that, it's empowered. I don't need to empower it when I pull up to the stoplight. It has power. The world around us is seeing the problems. The world around us, is, we sh this is a way we need to look at the world. They're looking at the same problems that we are. Yes, there is sin in the world, and yes, women are, are struggling, and yes, ladies, there is abuse and inequality and all of that. But the world can never solve the problems that only God can solve. And for you and for me, there's a landmine in this. And ladies, you need to recognize that God made you powerful day one. You don't need to become that. You don't, you don't, there's not something for you to reach up to. 
And part of it is you just realizing and discovering that as a woman that God made you incredible with who you are automatically already. And so your life is in response, living your life devoted to Him and living in awe of Him, and that should characterize everything. And in particular, if you're married, your relationship towards your husband. So it's that respectful living a life in awe and respect and fear of God that ultimately will speak to your husband if he's struggling to just like, what in the world are you believing? I don't know that I'm there. You living in this way is the best chance that you have for him to begin to understand and wrestle with the reality and the validity of God and faith and all of that. So your conduct should be out of a respecting to God, and it should be a conduct that is pure. That word pure is also the same word of holy. It's the exact same word in, in the original language. So, ladies, there should be a holiness about your life. It's not just talking about a sexual or a physical purity, although that's included in that. What it's saying is that your life should be marked more like God's than it is the world around you. In a world where it's girls gone wild or crazy or whatever it is, your life is not to be marked by whatever the culture is saying you can do next by the way you dress and what you do and speaking and whatever, but your life actually should be marked by God and God's holiness and how God has, has lived His life, if I could somehow say it in that way, that is your character of, of everything that you do should be one that is set apart. That's what the word holy means. It means one of a kind, set apart from this world. This world is not holy. This world is sinful. This world is corrupted. This world is tainted. Every person's heart is born into this world with that, with wrong motives and wrong goals and sin and all of those things, and we're a, 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 just a, a sick mess. And God alone is holy. And he sent his holy son, Jesus, who never did anything wrong into this unholy world of you and me, who died a perfect life for our sin so that he could forgive us of our sin and he could wash us and clean us when we surrender our life to him and to pull us out of that. And so what God's goal in life is to clean us all up and to help us to live in a way that, that, that honors and pleases him. Now, every culture and every generation and every moment of time has got to figure out what holy looks like practically. I saw in the news recently, I think in Afghanistan with the Taliban now, ladies are now having to cover up, you know, just the whole, just like literally can't see anything. I really don't think, ladies, that you need to do that to live holy, and I'm grateful for that. But somewhere along the line, how you dress does matter, <laughs> and how you, you look and what you go about matters in a, in a reflection of God. There should be a purity. For those of you ladies that are married, the way you dress, if there's something wrong in your heart, if you get dressed to go to work, and there's something that you hope that somebody else, particularly another man, notices about that more than your husband. You might be pure on the outside, but you are not pure on the inside. And our life is to be one of a holiness, ladies, and men, it should be for us too, that we should, everything should be marked by that, our, our conduct, because the people around us are watching, and the way we live our lives affects their eternity. That's the bottom line reality, because what Peter is talking about is 
Ladies, if your husband is struggling and doesn't know Jesus and is not buying into all of those things, that's fine. Don't keep talking and badgering and berating and just, you know, putting everything out there. Live in a way that demonstrates that because they're watching and seeing that. And as you live differently in this world, there's going to be something that's attractive in that that's going to speak to them when they see the difference of how you live to everybody else. So enjoy the fashions of the day, but make sure you're living in pure conduct. Enjoy whatever we can of the modern world and all of that, but live in a way that, you're, what, that God is the one that's directing how you speak, how you live, and how whether or not you feel you know, empowered and all of that is it. Turn your heart toward God. Second thing I want us to recognize, not only does God, ladies, want you to live in a way that's, that is uh, uh, respectful and a pure conduct, but He also wants you ladies to have a gentle and a quiet spirit. In verse 3, He says, Do not let your adorning be external. That, that word adorning kind of has a twofold meaning. Like we know words have you know, meanings and that kind of thing, even in English, all languages, that we can't get the whole thing out of it. This word most often in the Bible that's behind this word adorning, most often is translated for world. And what he is saying is, in essence, is don't let your whole world be wrapped up into your looks. He's not saying if you're wearing a braid this morning that it's bad. <laughs> or if you, you know, put your daughter in pigtails or braids when she was growing up that you're an evil, sinful person. It's not what the Bible's trying to tell us. He's saying, don't let your whole world be wrapped up in how you look. Don't be obsessed by that. Don't, don't, don't make it all about having to have everything and you know, all the, the right whatever and all the jewelry and everything and make that your identity. Don't make that your self-worth. Don't make that your goal in life that you're trying to accomplish. Is he saying it's wrong to look good? Absolutely not. Is he saying it's wrong to dress up? Absolutely not. But he's saying keep it in place in your heart. And instead of making it about the outside, put your effort on the inside. To be real honest, for all of us, men too, I mean, we could talk about this. Men, don't make it about your job. Don't make it about your car. Don't make it about your status or you're, you know, you're in shape or not or your youthfulness or any of the external stuff. Don't worry about all of that. Don't, don't obsess over the new wrinkle that you're getting as you age. Don't obsess over all of that. Don't make that your world. Instead, spend more time, more focus, and value much more the person that you are and are becoming on the inside. I know that sounds good in our modern world, but our modern world just oftentimes it stumbles into error, but it stumbles into truth because everybody's made in the image of God and they even lost people stumble into truth. We really are better on, best on the inside. But the world didn't come up with that, and modern psychology didn't come up with that. Being the best person you can be in all of that and best life, God's been telling us that for years. He says, What's really beautiful about you is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. So move beyond that. And don't worry and let yourself fall into comparison, ladies, with how you look compared to the next woman or the next person or all of that comparison. That just it's, There's lies in there that the enemy puts into your world and young girls battle and all of those things. And moms, help your young girls as they're young and as they're teenagers to, to, to just wrestle with those things early on and have a healthy perspective. 
Make sure that we don't put anything on our, our, our young ladies that they have to perform or to be and all of that because really what's happening in the, the name of empowering women, I didn't say this earlier, but it's crazy how empowering women actually leads to immodesty and leads to them being and doing stupid things. It's just, it's dumb. I, I think what happened is when our, country, our world, at least in the U.S., there was a time when men, it was generally known men needed to respect and honor women, and they generally treated women better. And then somehow they stopped doing that. And I think, ladies, women got sick of it. And so now empowering women really has become women being jerks too. You know, it's not so much women being respectful and pure, it's empowering them to be jerks just like guys, and just none of that is of God. But our, our life as we live is that we should help our, our young ladies what it means to, to live in this way that's modest before God, but is uh, to live in such a way that we have a, not, it's not about the outside, it's what's on the inside, a gentle and quiet spirit. That gentle and quiet spirit the world will tell you, ladies, means that you are succumbing to a misogynist, sexist world that you just are not, you know, standing up for yourself on all of it. Gentleness and quietness is seen as a, as a, a weakness or as an inferior thing. I want us to recognize that Jesus used that same word, gentleness. It's the same word for meekness. And he tells us all, men and women, that we're to have a meekness about us. Not a weakness, a meekness. It's the same word that Jesus used himself when he said, all you labor, come unto me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Folks, Jesus was the Son of God. He can do anything he wanted to. He could call down 10,000 legions of angels if he wanted to. Raise the dead, heal the blind, walk on water. He was not inferior or weak. And yet he himself was gentle and meek. So ladies, make sure in your mind and as you're trying to be the woman that you should be in this culture and world, don't buy the lies of this world. Make no mistake, the Lord Jesus wants you to be gentle and meek. Not gentle and meek and submitting yourself to abuse and whatever with men. That's, don't, don't fall into that. That is an issue, but the Lord Jesus is spiritually solving all of those things with the gospel. He put us on equal plane. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute when I talk about what it means to submit with husbands and how that all plays out. But embrace inside of you that you want to be, a, be that gentle and quiet spirit in your soul. That meekness and that gentleness is kind of a, see it as a quiet strength. It's a strength that doesn't need to be loud and tell everybody that it's strong. Dads, when your little your kids were little, and you know, I don't know how your kids were. I had five. I had five girls and three boys, and, uh, and all so different, different personalities, and all of that. But the tendency was, my boys would kind of want to come up and you know, punch it bad. I didn't have to say I'm bigger than you when they were five. Frankly, I knew one day they were going to be bigger and stronger than me, and I just always reminded them, "You may win this, but I know where you sleep." And I am more patient than you are, so you be careful. But when they were five, I didn't need to say, I'm the man. I've got you, boy. What are you doing? You see, that's the opposite of saying, I'm something. Jesus didn't walk around saying, I'm something. His meekness was, 
I know that I'm something. I know who I am. I'm not bothered whether you believe it or not. And I'm not trying to prove a single thing. That's meekness. It is a quiet, controlled strength of who you are. Ladies, don't fall for that landmine that you've got to put yourself out there and ah, be something and whatever to show who you are. That's not what God calls you to be. You recognize who you are. And you have a quiet strength about you. And have a, that's the, the gentleness and then the quietness. Sometimes, because in 1 Timothy 2, the Bible says, ladies, you're supposed to learn with quietness. And all of a sudden, you know, people get this idea that, well, women are just supposed to sit down and I guess I got to be quiet at home and I can't say anything with my husband. And, you know, that church down there and that Bible, they just tell you you can't say anything in church. That is not what this is saying whatsoever. This idea of quietness doesn't mean silence. In the book of Acts, the same word is used. And it's so funny because, he, because the Bible says that it translates it differently. It, trans, it translates it kind of as a ceasing. What this means is like the, the storm is not storming and raging, that there's more of a calmness. It doesn't mean silence. So Paul says something was said, and Paul, after that, the Bible says that Paul and his followers, they, were, they ceased. They were quiet and said, you know, the Lord's will be done. Quietness doesn't mean silence. What it's saying, ladies, is, is that you and your life, it's more of a tranquility internal. That you shouldn't be stormy on the inside. Whenever drama happens in families externally, it's because it's happening internally in people's souls first. What we see externally is only a reflection of what's going on internally. And what the Bible says, ladies, God wants us to cultivate a tranquility. And orderliness is another way of translating this word, that things are put together. It's not chaotic in, in our soul. So rather than being somebody with a cause that's got to stir things up and fix everything, creating drama and noise and all of that in your family or whatever, to say, you need to cultivate a quietness. Rather than being some like, I just have to speak up and I've got to fight and I've got to do this because it's... Uh, what? No. What is precious to God in God's sight, according to this, is a gentle strength, quiet strength, and a tranquility and a peacefulness. Of course it's situational. Ladies, I hope if you see a baby in a car in a parking lot and you go to put your cart back, because you're not doing Instacart or whatever and getting everybody to shop for you, and, and you see a baby in a car and it's a hot summer day, and you don't see mom, and you put the cart back and you come back and see the baby in the car and you don't see mom anywhere, I hope you make some noise. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about stirring up and drama and issues that celebrate and cultivate that. And of course, that's going to look differently for everybody. Some of you ladies are ex extroverts and by nature that way, and I love that. Some of you ladies are just a trip and you're wild and all of that, and I love that. Some of you are quiet and reserved. It's not saying you need to all act like introverts, but it's talking about the drama and the noise and stirring it up. So in your soul, God, the Holy Spirit, wants to, as you follow Jesus, that he saves you from your sin, and he gives you a confidence, even when situations are bad, even when life's not exactly the way you want it, 
There's a tranquility because your hope is in God. That leads me to the third thing, and this is what the submission, being subject part, is about. He says, For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. They, they focus more on the inside than the outside. They adorn themselves, and they valued that and treasured that. The world will never tell you to treasure that, ladies. God looks inside, and He values what's on the inside. He said, but this is how they did it. They adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. There's a beauty in this, what the Bible's telling us. And here's how they did it. Here's the example. As Sarah obeyed, whew, heavy word that we get worried about. It's, it's a, relax, it's okay, ladies. We obey Abraham, calling him Lord. Wow. Yes, my Lord. Yes, husband, I, I bow whatever you want, your honor and your majesty. No, that's not what it's saying at all. Uh, that word, Lord, I, I kind of wish they translated it, sir. It's just it's a just recognizing a respect. It's not saying in our culture it would be a little weir weird because we don't go around saying that. You know, I will sometimes call men sir, but even in our culture, that's a little weird here. If you go down south, that's a more common. I was raised, brought up, my mom was from Florida, and I was raised, you know, as a kid saying, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, yes, sir, and yes, uh, no, sir. I had to get my genders right and all of that. And that was normal in that culture. Is it wrong if you don't say that? Of course not. It just means she was respectful of her husband is what it's saying that she lived in a life that's of submission. Now, how many of you drove, let me under, help you understand this, how many of you, you, on your way to church this morning, stopped at a stoplight or a stop sign? How many of you stopped? I'm not asking you, did you roll through it or not? I'm not playing, <laughs> not playing traffic cop. I'm not saying, did you run a red light? I was inches from it myself. But how many of you, literally, how many of you stopped at a stop sign or a red light? Did you feel demeaned by doing that in any way? No. Do, do you feel inferior when you show up to work on time because you know your boss wants you to be at work on time? Do you feel inferior? To the teachers, many of you are educators in the room. Do you feel like you're superior to your students when you give them homework and have expectations for them to study and to prepare for a quiz or an exam the next day or assign a, a paper for them? You feel superior because you're giving them, telling them something to do? No. You see, in our culture, we think submission means inferior and weakness and somehow is demeaning. We've equated that when it comes to those things. But we also recognize that in many situations, it's not. See, when you stop at a stoplight or a red light, you are submitting yourself to the decisions of those who put that light in place. You're submitting yourself to them. But you didn't get offended because there's no offense meant there. There's no reason to get offended. And teachers really shouldn't see themselves as superior just because they give exams and responsibilities to kids. They recognize they probably know a thing or two more than the kid, but it has nothing to do with inferiority or demeaning or any of those kinds of things. So what I'm saying is this. Ladies, don't read into subjection and submission that it means inferior demeaning. That's what the world tells you that word means. It doesn't. 
It doesn't mean that at all. Get, if you struggle with that, and you probably do, and I would get it if I were you too, because that's what the culture's been beating and pounding into you for years and years and years. Think about it this way. Was our Lord Jesus the God-man who in every way was just as powerful and equal as God the Father? Is He subject to God the Father? The answer is yes. I didn't come to do my will. I came to do His will. Jesus was subject to the Father, and yet it was not demeaning, belittling. He in no way, shape, or form was inferior to God the Father. But it means, ladies, that in, as God made us in husbands, there's two places that this is appropriate. It doesn't apply to business, doesn't apply to government, doesn't apply to little leagues, sports leagues, any other kind of thing out there. It applies in the home life with a husband and wife, and it applies to the leadership of church. And God says, ladies, when you're married, you are to be in submission to your husband. Think about it this way. Your husband is to be the leader. That's the simplest way that I know in our culture for it to be. The Father was the leader of the is the leader of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's some latitude in how that plays out in your home life, ladies. But recognize that is not God demeaning, making you fear and all of that. And if you live in submission, ladies, to your husband, you can hold your head high. <laughs> and live and, and push back anything that anybody is trying to put on you that you're beat down with that. And there's latitude with how that plays out. So my home, my wife and I, for example, this is, this is, not, this is not a president-vice president kind of thing. In a president-vice president world, the president has more authority over the vice president, right? More authority. In our world, my wife and I are co-presidents. If you were to ask my kids, who's the leader of the team Pierce in you know, marriage and even of us as kids, they would say me. I don't think I've ever once told them that. They just know by the way we live, that's how it is. But I can't ever remember telling my wife, this is the way it's going to be, highway or not. Never once. Because we're a team. We're co-presidents. You know, give, give you a specific example. I think just a couple of days ago, my wife got, you know, trying to plan summer or whatever and said, okay, we're going to go to New York City on Memorial Day. And we're going to go see the Statue of Liberty because our youngest kids haven't seen it. You live in New York and you haven't seen the Statue of Liberty. You know, like we want to be good parents. And so I said, okay, great idea, babe. I'm with you. She said, I've looked at the calendar. I got it covered. I got the budget or whatever. That's the way we roll. And this morning, there was something that I was speaking about one of our kids, and I said, this is really important to me. I want this to happen. And in either of those scenarios, if either of us brought up a reason why it was not a good idea, we'd figure it out, and we would do together what's best for the family. That's what submission looks like. It's not an inferior, inferior superior, I'm in charge, you're just this lowly servant. Good night, no. Oh my goodness, no. It just means at the end of the day, there's a leader. And men, I'll talk to you more come Father's Day, you will stand in Judgment Day before God with more accountability than your wives, because that's your job. CEO of the company has more responsibility and more accountability than the employee, other employees they supervise. It's more on our president than our vice president, right? Men, it's on you. You need to see, in essence, see, it's not about authority, it's about you having more responsibility. 
And ladies, your role is to recognize that. That's a part of it. And not see yourself inferior. Now, I get it. You say, well, Sean, you paint yourself as a pretty good husband. And I would say, I think I'm a pretty good husband, but I am not a perfect husband. And my wife will tell you that. And some of you ladies may be saying, but Sean, my husband is far worse than that. I get that, ladies. He's not talking about submitting to abuse and submitting to safety issues and all of those things. And there's more in there that, that can't be unpacked just in a broad general session like that. And ladies, you're struggling that. We want to talk and help you as a church and navigate that as, as, as husbands and wives or whatever. But what the Bible tells us is, is that your baseline, Ben, should be a, a life of following your husband, even if you don't always agree with everything. Hopefully your husband knows Jesus and learns more and more and equal and treats you the way that he should. But even if not, Paul's writing to people whose husbands don't know Christ who aren't great husbands. And he's telling them to follow. But he's telling them to follow with hope. See, that's, that's the point. It's not just submission, but it's hope. Don't miss in this. He says in verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. So ladies, as you work through that in your own heart, your hope is not in your husband. Your hope's not even in your husband treating you right. Those of you that are married, your hope is in God. And you can only truly be have a right relationship and submission to your husband when your hope is not in your husband doing the right thing every time because they're not. And they're going to mess up. And sometimes you're going to have to let them mess up and be quiet, even when it costs you a bit in the process. And that's hard, but that's part of what God calls you to, and that's part of that negotiation and relationship and all of that learning and how that goes together and counseling, all of that. But your hope is in God, that you're not afraid of your future because God is going to take care of you. That's what he means in verse 6, is that even though Sarah was respectful to her husband, she did good at the end of verse 6, and she didn't fear anything that is frightening. The most frightening thing for many ladies is in their own home. And what Paul is, is or Peter, excuse me, is trying to help you to fixate on is in that world, still be subject, not to abuse and all of that. And we can talk about more offline if it's confusing. I'm truly, our pastors are available to you. And that's why we have Steve increasingly as a pastor of care and hospitality to help us. And we're trying to create that environment as a church and women helping women, all of that. But ladies, you're, you live with your head high and not believe in the lies of the world when your hope is not in you fighting for your rights putting your hope in God. So a woman that pleases God is a woman that's respectful and pure in what she does and how she lives her life and in every way, pleasing and honoring Him, cultivating an internal beauty of a gentle and quietness and a strength. And, one that's, and those that are married, living in such a way that is in submission to their husbands and a right relation to their husband not inferior, not demeaning, 
but working together and following his lead in a way that your hope is in God of heaven. And when your hope's there, you can have a bright future. And you can forgive your husband when they've messed up. And you can find grace and love in your soul when you're hurt and you're wrestling and struggling for whatever, because you're not frightened. You're not afraid. That's what God wants you to be as women. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for Jesus, and I know these words are so countercultural. I know they're so different than the messages that are happening. Father, this world is, it recognizes that there's abuse and wrongs and so many atrocious things that women have endured. But Lord, the solution is not sin, is not turning around and being wrong. The solution is turning to you and finding your gospel of grace and forgiveness and change in our own hearts and living differently in the middle of a completely messed up world. And Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us, the men here, to understand what it means for their own daughters, their own wives, for ladies and young women to, to resist and to recognize the lies that the world's putting on them and to value something completely different. Lord, help us to live that way in our, our hearts. Father, we need your help because it's not easy. And so I pray for your grace for everyone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how God's spoken into your world, into your heart this morning. I hope he's encouraged some of you. I hope he's challenged some of you. There might be some things you need to think through. I don't know. But whatever's going on inside of you, Respond to God. Men, maybe you haven't treated your wife properly and you need to go and apologize. Ladies, maybe you've not respected your husband. You respect God, you're going to respect your husband. And maybe you've talked bad about your husband to your own kids. Wives, your kids will relate to their fathers based on how you relate to their father. And if you see your kids disrespecting your father, you need to turn around and look in the mirror yourself. And so, whatever God has been speaking into your world this morning, respond to Him. He wants to forgive. He wants to change your thinking. He wants to help you to become the person He's called you to be. So respond to Him. <music>